Doc Talk is brought to you by Merck Animal Health. By integrating the comprehensive animal health product portfolio of Merck Animal Health with the innovative technologies of all flex livestock intelligence, we are shaping the future of animal health, resulting in more effective solutions and healthier animals. Hey folks, welcome to Doc Talk. We're gonna have a great show. We're gonna talk about hay testing. We're gonna talk about cow nutrition. We have Beth Reynolds from the Iowa Beef Center here with us today. Stay tuned, we're glad you're watching. Hey folks, welcome to Doc Talk. I'm Dr. Dan Thompson and I'm here with Beth Reynolds and we're at Iowa State University where Beth serves as a program specialist for the Iowa Beef Center through Iowa State Extension and Research here at Iowa State University and uh, is one of those people that spends a lot of time with our producers on the ground, fielding calls, setting up programs, um, and really providing a service to the Iowa farmers and ranchers here. And we're very thankful to get you here. Yes, well, thanks for having me, Dan. Appreciate it. You bet. So we're gonna talk about hay. And we're gonna talk about hay uh, and feeding cows. And it's something that you have done a lot of work in. But let's, let's first start out with, we get our hay in, um, there's probably, we should probably test it. So how do we get first, let's just talk about sampling hay. You hear it from all your extension specialists and all of your nutritionists is test hay, test hay, test hay. It's probably a little bit of a broken record, but it is really important and it can really uh, make or break uh, how you manage that winter feed bill. So our general rule of thumb is when you go test a lot of hay, I'm gonna say a lot, meaning hay that came from one field or hay that you know is should be of relatively similar quality. It might be two different patches in a field that were similar, uh, even fields that were side by side, but you wanna avoid areas that you know are a higher proportion of grass to your alfalfa compared to somewhere else. So kind of organizing lots of hay. We rec generally recommend taking a hay probe out of about 10% of those bales, mixing them up, compositing them, and then taking a subsample of that to go ahead and send off to your whatever laboratory you're going to use. One thing I will say is definitely plan a little bit ahead. Uh, a great service most of these laboratories provide is they'll send you sampling, uh, not the hay probe, but sampling bags and uh, forms to fill out for free with uh, shipping paid for as well. So they'll ha handle sending you those sh shipping supplies. Just takes a little bit of forethought and planning ahead on your part. So when I go and I take my core sample and I take my 10 core samples, how do you mix this up and make sure you get a, what do you use? It's not really technical in any way. Um, those hay probes break apart those hay fibers too pretty well. It's not like you'll have a bunch of long strands in there, but I mean, when you're collecting them, you can be putting them in a, just a five gallon bucket if you need, or if you have a big enough bag to use. Um, and then, I mean, I just mix them up. And then in general, we say probably try to fill half a gallon bag pretty solid with um, material and that'll give the lab plenty to do all the analysis they need. They don't need a lot, but um, depending on how wet the sample is for hay, less is needed than if you were using a silage or something with higher moisture content. So then just to clarify, if I have, different distinct types of hay do this 10 core samples within each yeah. different group or yeah 10 core 10 to 15 cores or a core from about 10 percent of the bales is okay. our 
um, general it kind of depends on how big of your your lots are if you only have five bales from a field you probably don't need to take more than five <laughs> cores but i mean the more representative the better but yep that's a lot of extra time so it's perfect all right well we're getting our samples off to the lab when we come back more with beth reynolds on hay quality hay testing and feeding your cows Hey folks, welcome back to Doc Talk. I'm Dr. Dan Thompson here with Beth Reynolds. We're at Iowa State University where she is our program specialist for the Iowa Beef Center here at Iowa State University through the Extension and Research uh, Division or area, I don't know. <laughs> but anyway, we do work here at Iowa State together and um, Beth is a great resource. She's a nutritionist and a great resource here on, on cow nutrition. and we were we got our samples to the lab and now we probably got a form to fill out on what we want right yep so when you're looking at the forms from the lab it's a little daunting because there's a whole slew of packages you can um, select generally for producers and our cow guys i tell them with your common feed stuffs like alfalfa or even just grass hay typically an nir test is cheaper but those are adequate we have pretty good calibration equations for those if you're getting into some more like annual forages or more novel feed stuffs uh, that you think wouldn't be are less common then that's when you'd consider doing those more expensive wet chemistry options uh, but really when you're selecting your tests think of uh, how you're going to use it and then also like if, if it was a drought year or a wet year what some of those influencing factors might be that you might be concerned about, which I think we'll talk a little bit more on later. Yep. But um, in general, cow guys, you definitely want to know crude protein and a measure of energy. Traditionally, that's been TDN, and that's what a lot of producers are really more comfortable with. Um, but we do have a lot better measures of that, and th those labs are going to give you some of those better measures like net energy for maintenance or gain. Um, and even do like NDF digestibility. And those uh, might be, might take a learning curve to understand how to interpret those, but they are really better measures. If you use a nutritionist at all, make sure you work with them, figuring out what they wanna make sure you test for. Uh, you can talk to the lab if, if you ever have any questions, most of them are really good at helping you out. But minerals, depending on your area, some areas yeah. run higher risk to be high in sulfur or magnesium or something that might if it's high in one of those, it might alter what mineral package plan you want to move forward with, or even uh, like drought if you're worried about nitrates in that particular field, or uh, if you have corn stalks and want to make sure you don't have any type of molds or toxin issues. Just think about what you want to know from the test when you go selecting those packages. Uh, but they do put them together in some pretty good general packages and then there's some more specialized options you can pick after that i think it's important too that to, to do it in advance right we get into this thing of doing it after we've turned the cows out and we have a problem and when you start to talk about the magnesium and the 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 minerals and the the different things because we can get grass tetany issues we can get uh mold aflatoxin mycotoxin issues we can get nitrate issues all those types of things aside from the very important part of meeting that cow's energy and protein requirements yes definitely and that's one of those 
it all depends on how you're using it. Is the hay 100% of the, her diet? Is it 20% of her diet um, while she's grazing something else? And that will kind of drive how much you prioritize which lots need to go in to get sampled and so forth as well. Perfect. It's great information. Um, we're so glad that Beth works here at Iowa State. Uh, we're going to take a break. We'll be right back after these messages. Hey folks, welcome back to Doc Talk. I'm Dr. Dan Thompson here with Beth Reynolds and we're at Iowa State University where Beth is our program specialist for the Iowa Beef Center here through extension and research at Iowa State University. Her specialty is cow nutrition and she's a wonderful nutritionist that works with producers, uh, not just in, in Iowa, but around the surrounding Corn Belt region, um, whether it's talking about residue grazing, pasture grazing, hay, anything that's cows and nutrition. This is, this is your person. We've suffered through some, a couple of years of drought. And now we're gonna have, you know, droughty hay, we've got droughty stockpiled forages, we've got no forages. Um, yeah. What are some comments about, you know, how, to, how producers can deal with this and how we can work through this? Um, I guess biggest thing is I, I, knowing how much hay you need and making sure you're getting that sourced uh, ahead of time, but uh, be aware of how drought and growth growing conditions are going to affect the quality of that feed you're providing those animals. So um, earlier we were talking about selecting tests and things like that. If you consider really plant growth just gets down to photosynthesis, right? Uh, but drought conditions, we know our yield is our most obvious thing that takes a hit and easy to see. But with that, uh, that, those, that root system is still taking up minerals and protein and sugars it's just not getting dispersed throughout the plant so like in alfalfa a lot of that those carbohydrates and minerals and nitrates will get uh packed into that crown of the plant and that lower part of the stem mm -hmm. um and that's even if we talk about nitrate toxicity it's after they get a little rain and can start growing it'll disperse pretty rapidly and that's when nitrate toxicity might be an issue perennial forages typically isn't that big of an issue um but it, that same pattern holds true for those other cell solubles like your sugars. So they'll stay during a drought, they'll stay down towards the, the bottom of the plant and then they disperse when we get a rain. Oh yeah, essentially. And that's how they go through the plant and then it'll, it has to be able to photosynthesize in order to convert those into proteins and tie those up in the plant. Um, but part of when you're thinking about that, there's not very much growth. And so even when you look at a non-drought year hay sample versus a drought year hay sample, you'll probably be pleasantly surprised when you look at the results because that drought hay will have a higher crude protein on a percentage basis. That's mostly driven by growth. There's just not as much of that plant growth for that protein. It's kind of like a, a kernel of corn. Yeah. The, the bigger the kernel, the more starch that dilutes out and we have less crude protein, or yeah, less crude protein versus a smaller kernel, less starch, more crude protein. Yeah, kind of following that same trend line. But one of the th bigger cautions we have is that pro that hay you make in the drought year dries down great, has higher protein, you're thinking you're in great shape. But even if 
even when you look at that initial sample. But one thing to be really aware of is that fiber digestibility really takes a hit in those drought years because it gets a little more lignin percentage basis. And so even though it's higher protein, it doesn't mean it's that much more protein actually available for the animal. And they can pick that up on the testing. Yep. And that's part of, so when you look at like NDF digestibility or crude protein solubility, those will be the two measures that show you um, that more than anything else. But it's just something to be aware of, even though numbers might look okay at a glance, you need to make sure it's digestible still. And that um, digestibility of the fiber will really drive whether uh, corn is a good complement for that hay feedstuff or a distiller's grain or soy hole that's a little more digestible fiber versus a starch-based or sugar-based in corn or something like that. Perfect. Great information, something that we all need to be paying attention to heading into the fall, heading into the winter, thinking about cow nutrition. We'll be right back. Hey folks, welcome back to Doc Talk. Dr. Dan Thompson here with Beth Reynolds, who's a nutritionist and she is a program specialist for the Iowa Beef Center here at Iowa State University through Extension and Research. And um, we have a tremendous Iowa Beef Center. Um, Dr. Loy is our director, uh, but Beth, Erica Lundy, uh, you know, we have just a really, really good group of support staff, uh, field specialists, program specialists that, that kind of make the, the whole thing run. Um, during the break, we started talking about after you get your samples, how to implement those based on your different types of hay and where the cows are at physiologically. Kind of one of the most elementary type concepts once you think about it, but one of the biggest pieces of advice is we make sure to talk to producers about is once you know the general quality of different lots of hay, um, and even if you didn't sample every single lot, if you know, hey, that's my best stuff, that stuff is not so great. Um, try to line out in your head uh, the low to high quality hay um, and label it, whether you label just by field or num what cutting it is. Uh, spray paint on a net wrap works phenomenally. Yep. Um, but go ahead and prioritize the order based on quality in your head um, and then use that knowledge to um, determine what your feed out order is going to be for those cows. So like right now, cows are late second trimester, early third trimester, um, if you're really early spring calving, but uh, go ahead, understand. Calves are weaned, this is their lowest requirement time period, and when you should probably be utilizing that lower quality hay. Um, and then as they get far further along in third, third, gest third trimester, yeah. late gestation, um, increasing that quality of hay and saving the best stuff for that early lactation if you're not able to get out to pasture at where your calving timeline falls. Um, so knowing that and just even with that, if you start feeding good stuff now, you'll struggle to get cows to eat the bad stuff later too. Um, they yeah. definitely have their taste preferences and if you're on that increasing curve, you shouldn't run into any issues. And if you think about what, what Beth has said today about testing, it's, it's preventing bad things from happening from toxins or low minerals or things to that nature, understanding the, the quality of crude protein and energy, the digestibility to match it with what other supplements you're gonna have, and then 
ranking that hay, getting it to a point where you're going to go from the lowest quality to the highest quality from second trimester uh, to lactation. Yep. And once you have that information, you'll be able to be better equipped to source uh, the lowest quality or lowest cost feed stuff that best matches what you need as your supplement. Like a, a drought year, again, I said digestibility t- t- typically takes a hit. So um, supplementation is probably going to be advantageous, not only just so they get enough to eat, but just the availability of, hey, you are probably going to have to be sourcing other feedstuffs. And if you have the option to feed them in any other, like even just bucket feed a little bit of corn, a little bit of uh, piles of corn on top of your rolled out hay, that kind of thing can kind of stretch that forage supply a little bit better because um, I'm guessing most areas in the U.S. this year, finding hay will be our biggest challenge. It's going to be huge hey, challenge. If you've tried to source any lately, you, your pocketbook feels it. So. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Great information. Folks, thanks for watching Doc Doc. Remember, if you want to find us, you can find us on the web at www.doctalktv.com. Always work with your local nutritionist or veterinarian. With Beth Reynolds here from Iowa State University, I'm Dr. Dan, and we'll see you down the road. Doc Talk is brought to you by Merck Animal Health. By integrating the comprehensive animal health product portfolio of Merck Animal Health with the innovative technologies of all flex livestock intelligence, we are shaping the future of animal health resulting in more effective solutions and healthier animals. Stressors that trigger bovine respiratory disease are all around. So when you spot BRD in your herd, turn to Suprevo, the fast that lasts. Suprevo is rapidly absorbed in as little as 45 minutes and lasts up to 28 days. Because in the race against BRD, you need to win. Ready, set, Suprevo. In case of human injection, seek immediate medical advice for use in beef and non-lactating dairy cattle only. For prescribing information, talk to your veterinarian or visit Zuprevo.com. Valley Vet Supply sees the hard work and effort of you and your animals to achieve your goal of being a champion. And we're here to help along the way. To the cowboys and cowgirls, to the dreamers, we see you.